The Art Dealer Diaries are brought to you by Medicine Man Gallery, located for over 26 years in Tucson, Arizona, specializing in antique Native American art, early Western art, including the famed Maynard Dixon, as well as modern art. You can find everything online at medicinemangallery.com. There's over 6,000 objects to select from. Also, the Charles Bloom Murder Mystery Series, written by yours truly, me, Mark Sublett. There's eight books in the series. And they follow the protagonist Charles Bloom through all the intrigue of the art world set in Santa Fe and the Navajo Nation. These can be found on Audible, eBooks, Amazon, and of course, the gallery at medicinemangallery.com. I had Erin Hansen on today. She's a very interesting person. I've always been a big fan of her work. In fact, I represent her work. I don't get a lot because she has her own galleries, but I do get some great things occasionally. I have some always on inventory. She is a unique human being in many, many respects, and one of them is that she's not only extremely talented as an artist, but she has the same skill set when it comes to business and marketing. And some people might go, well, you know, that's really not part of the art world, but it's a critically important part of the art world. And she is very driven. And when you have somebody who's driven, creative, and also has a skill set, it makes for somebody who's successful. And she's clearly successful, not only in the way that she paints, but also the way she's able to sell her artwork and do jaclays of her artwork and just her whole thought process process and making a magazine to hit the people that need to. I, I quite frankly think that not only artists would learn a, a great deal, which you would expect, but I think there's dealers out there that have art galleries that probably would be well, uh, well known to just listen to this and come away with some of the things that she's doing in her own practice of how she runs her art gallery, including me. There are things that, you know, really she does, she probably executes better than I do in some areas. And, you know, I've been doing it for 30 years. So it's a fun podcast from, for me because I love to talk the business of art as well as just, you know, looking at art and talking to creative people. She understands the business of art. And I think it almost transferred in from let me find out about you as an artist and your creativity to how are you doing all these other things and doing it well. And she's doing it quite well. And we also had a nice discussion at the end on NFTs, which are the non-fungible tokens, which is a new way of selling art, which is going to be important in the future. There's just no doubt about it. And for especially Western native art, contemporary Western, I don't think it's people really understand it yet, but it's coming, folks. It's coming. And sometime in the future, I will be having somebody on this very podcast to talk about blockchain and understand non-fungible tokens because the next generation is also going to be looking at this on a digital platform and maybe find that as interesting as on a wall. So I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. So I hope you enjoyed the this podcast. I had a great time with Aaron, Aaron Hansen. I was looking at your Aww. art. I think I got an email is what it was the other day. Um, mm-hmm. You're very good at that. that. We'll talk. We're actually going to talk about that because you're. I think I've told people this many, many times. Mm -hmm. I said, Aaron Hansen is the best artist promoter that I've ever met. So, you know, you could have just been a gallerist if you wanted to. You didn't have to. You know, you could have easily been exceptionally successful. I think just running a gallery and you know of other people's stuff, not just your own, but anybody's. 
And because uh, you got it, you figured it out. You figured out all the components, which is amazing. And most of the artists that I know, not, there are exceptions. You are clearly one of those, but most of them I know, they're good at creating. They're good at focusing on that, but they can't do the other. Yep. So, and there's so much to do. I mean, as you, as we're yeah, that's true. Discuss, you'll, and you're running two galleries, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I just opened my, um, well, I, I can tell you about this later, but we have an 18,000 square foot place in Oregon now with like eight employees and then my gallery in Carmel too. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. 18,000 square feet. Yep. And there's a lot of it's that a... <laughs> toward um, to have that many, because I mean, you're just one human, right? I mean, you can only produce what you I'm can. one human. Yeah. True. We, um, we know you do at least one a day. <laughs> <laughs> yep i do about one a day um i i do have a two-year-old now so i've cut back to working only or painting only five days a week and then i spend the six day a week just doing administrative uh, actions but i still try to do about four to five paintings a week yeah or wow. more if they're the petites like i'm actually you can kind of see here that yeah, little it. one is a little uh, i think it's like a nine by twelve or eight by ten that i'm right. gonna wrap up in about an hour yeah, and for those who are listening to this, you can also watch this on YouTube. So you can see that and you can see the back of her studio. And there's no paintings really back there because she's probably got them all sold. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> yep, I work on just one painting at a time. And uh, it, 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 it's, it's a great style that I've developed because I'm able to work very directly. Um, in other words, I just, I lay the paint on and I can do it in one sitting and then the painting is done. So I don't work in layers. I don't have to wait for the oil to dry in between or anything like that. It's and a very spontaneous uh, kind of fun style to paint in. Yes. And there's, a, and there's a name to that you have given it too, right? Yes. I coined the term open impressionism. Yes. Yeah. So you just start with a, because you're using a uh, impasto kind of uh, paint style, right? And you're painting directly on layer over lower layer? Yes, well, I actually, I try not to overlap my brush strokes at all. So I'm literally laying just a single layer of paint on the canvas. And it's always my challenge, my personal uh, challenge to never go over a paint stroke once I place it on the canvas. So that means I have to get everything right the first time, but it has a really beautiful effect when it works out correctly. It has kind of a delicate stained glass mosaic kind of mm. effect which is kind of part of the open impressionism style. Yeah, that's interesting. So what happens if you do screw up? <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, uh, I've done about 2,500 paintings now in the style. So um, I, I guess I, I still do make mistakes, um, but it's more like a learning experience. And then I try to adapt the mistake into the painting and uh, you know, pretend like I in, in, did it intentionally. Yeah, so you do it like, uh, what's his name, Bob, uh, <laughs> the joy Bob of Ross. Bob Ross, the joy of painting. Okay. There are no yeah, maybe if I, if I really life. get my hair going, uh -huh. I, I can, I can, I can fully imitate you. That's what I mean, because that's what he would say. There is no painting mistakes. Everything yeah. is meant to happen. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's true, and it, it's a philosophy I've had to wrap my head around because. Uh, Otherwise, you know, you're always fixing your own paintings and they're never perfect. 
you know, because you have this, all artists have this impossibly high standard for their artwork, right? And it's, in, it's like impossible to create that in the physical universe. So you're always fixing it and correcting it. And you hear this term like, oh, the painting's never finished. Well, I call BS and the painting <laughs> needs to be done. <laughs> Otherwise, you're never going to be able to move on. And then what's, what's, what, it's always perceived differently by other people. You know, the artist has their high standard or their, uh, their, the picture that they have in their imagination of what the painting is supposed to look like. And just because it doesn't achieve that exactly doesn't mean that someone else who doesn't look into my head doesn't still appreciate and love that painting because they see it from their own point of view and they, their own experiences and what they think art should be. Yeah, it's art, right? I yeah. mean, it's totally art. Art's in the eye of the beholder. In the eye of the beholder. Yeah, I'm sure that there are things that, I, and I always laugh when I hear that some people interpret like Maynard Dixon painting saying this and that, and I'm thinking, eh, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, we can so say funny. it, but I, I know. Um, even like Van Gogh, you know, someone sent me this video yesterday about Starry Night, and it was a 45-minute in-depth view into the psyche of Van Gogh and stuff, and I'm just like, you know, he probably just had this cool idea of this beautiful scene and wanted to paint it, you know, which is about as deep as I ever go in my art, you know. <laughs> yeah, and he probably did it in a day. Yeah, I bet he did. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's not something he contemplated there are some artists yeah that I, I found that that the more you overwork a painting the less the further and further away it gets from that initial kind of uh i don't know how that the art should have you know well i find that a lot of artists i know i don't know if i just say a lot of artists but there are a, a, a good number of artists who literally cannot they have a problem knowing when to finish i'm talking about good artists yeah. oh yeah no i it's just amazing it's a very me. common question i get um when how to know when to stop painting yep ask also, your art so here's, dealer. here's what i do ask your art dealer they'll tell you yep it's done <laughs> put it in the box since yeah. it's dried send it there <laughs> well so so here's what i've done this is my successful action um i'll put all the paint down on the canvas Yes. Right. So in other words, all the underpainting is covered more or less. And then I won't even look at it because also it's usually like starting to get late at night and I'm not thinking as well as clearly. <laughs> and so I'll just I'll just go home and then I'll come in the next day. And if there's anything that really just jumps out at me as being an error, then fine, I'll go in and fix it. But then I'll just sign the painting. And then once I've signed it, I can no longer make any changes. And it goes into my scan room and it gets scanned and then it's completed. I see. And then you do you have yeah. an inventory number for each painting and you put it into your log as well? Yes, I, I basically I use my website, um, the back end of my website to track all my paintings. So, yeah, we, we process print through my my website uh, back end and yeah. everything. Yeah. Ed Mel, by the way, uses a mirror behind him to look for Things uh, look odd or something he says oh, yeah something will pick that's up that's really smart you know another another good trick is to take um an iphone picture of the painting and then look at that because cameras bring out all the worst side of everything right and they because your eye uh the, the human eye automatically adjusts for things that are too dark it adjusts for things that are too light it, right. it you're, you're 
you, you can focus in on one part of the painting and then it looks beautiful, right? Especially as the artist, because you have this idea of what it's supposed to look like. And so you kind of overlay that on top of the painting. So it's really hard to see it from an objective point of view, but a phone is the most critical observer of your art that you can find. That's interesting. And so have you done that where you'll take a photo and then you'll go and you're looking at it and go, mm, this needs some work here. Uh-huh, yep. Because you also see it all squished in and really tiny. So you're, you're, you, you're able to see errors in composition also uh, really well, because what looks good big does not always <laughs> look good small, you know, in terms of um, balance of the tones and the overall composition of the painting. So the painting should look really good in black and white, right? Mm. It doesn't look good, look good in black and white or as a tiny thumbnail, then the painting is not, it doesn't have a strong enough composition. Will you, you know? literally take out all the saturation in the phone photo to look at it and in a grisel and I, I I don't do that. I do squint. I'll squint at it. And so that kind of takes out the color. And then the other thing is when it goes to my scan room, which is all blacked out in there, there's like black walls and it's all black and dark in there. And I, I lean it against the wall. And then sometimes I'll walk in and I'll look at it and it's in very dim light. So I can't see the color. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, there's this horrible error in the painting. And I'll grab it off the wall and take it back <laughs> to my studio and my poor our system is like oh, i was about to scan that <laughs> uh, sorry new painting <laughs> so for those who have just joined us and we just kind of jumped into it aaron hansen is here today and uh you're a wonderful artist and one that i uh, represent and periodically get some paintings which is lovely because basically i'm the only one i think gets any paintings ever that's true <laughs> <laughs> but i would yep. I, I would like to know and i'll talk to about how that happened but i'd like to know a little bit more about you and how you grew up and you know i of course i know your bio and it's and it's it's clear that you had a passion and a love for this really early on right yep i um you know i think like a, a lot of kids you always want to be an artist you know i think that's a dream of a lot of kids and so i was young and i, I went to a little private school and i was able to take oil painting lessons at age eight and I studied watercolor and acrylics and all the different mediums and I'm going to stop kind of held on to that I'm going to stop mm -hmm. you for one second I just realized I wonder if my if I'm showing on my part of the screen you Can aren't you oh I yeah that might be good to fix we'll let me <laughs> do this thing. okay after 150 of these I should know better so, um, <laughs> well, this will be fun for the very first part of the of this video. Uh, you'll just see Aaron because I wasn't in it. And uh, yeah, that's good. 155 uh, podcasts and I'm just realizing, hey, you know, I'm not in this thing. What's going on? So <laughs> but we'll still we'll still go back to where we were which is okay. when you you've always enjoyed this as a child and you said you made the statement that every kid really wants to be an artist so i don't know if that's true i think i wish it were true i don't think they get exposed enough to do it unfortunately in our in our system but you clearly had some kind of real love for this right i did yeah yeah i mean i suppose um yeah i don't know that every child wants to be an artist per se but they all all children they create they draw you know, or at least how kids I saw when I was growing up, you know, all kids want to draw with crayons and markers and coloring books. And I guess whether or not it's nurtured or in a, and expanded with the kids, might they might decide to take it up as a career. And uh, trust me, it was a 
pretty much beaten out of me by the time I graduated high school. I, you know, got told by dozens of different adults that it was way too hard to make a living as an artist. And uh, I, I even apprenticed as a 12 year old, I apprenticed in a mural studio that was across the street from my school. And I worked nights and weekends there and worked for about four years with these guys. Um, and they all told me that being an artist was a terrible career choice mm-hmm. and that I would regret it. And being very smart and high IQ, I decided to go become a doctor. So I started off at pre-med and at UC Berkeley and ended up with a degree in bioengineering, uh, but decided I didn't want to do that because I worked for a few professors in college and it was just pretty, pretty mind numbingly boring on the day-to-day basis. Yeah. And a lot of politics and administration and, you know, I just wasn't a game I wanted to play. So I graduated really not knowing what I was going to do. So I started a business that was just a business. It wasn't anything special. I was buying and selling stuff on eBay and Amazon and Craigslist (laughs) and um, ended up that supported me while I was a fledgling artist and allowed me to take four years to build up my career enough that I could support myself as an artist. Well, let's back it up because there's a lot there to unpack. And one of the <laughs> things, I mean, you go, yep, I worked from 12 to 16 in a studio, right? That's, how did that happen? I mean, that's not a common thing. I've never heard an artist do that, actually. Yeah, well, my, this, this private school I went to, uh, Delphi Academy, there uh, was an LA school. Um, they, uh, really push apprenticeships with kids because kids, they think they want to do something, but then you go out and you actually do it in real life and you just realize you hate it. So instead of waiting until you've graduated from college to decide that you don't want that as a career, you, you start early. So I apprenticed as a vet. I also was interested as a, being a veterinarian. So I did that for a couple of years. Um, and these all started out as apprenticeships and turned into paid positions, you know, because I was hardworking young kid and like at the vet it was me and the only doc there was one other doctor and we were we held the vet open and we were the only vet open in the evenings in La Crescenta Mm -hmm. and we had every emergency animal come in and I was a you know I was probably 13 14 and I answered the phones I handed all the meds I brought all the kids the the dogs and stuff into their rooms I cleaned up all the blood on the floor I you know helped the the doctor in emergency surgery. I did all the all this stuff as a fourteen year old, and um, I really loved that. But I didn't really see myself doing that for the rest of my life, and so I decided not to be a vet. And I think at that point, that's when I decided just to go pre med and work with people. And I never had a chance to intern as a doctor, um, but I did. I when I was in college, I went I had my, my one of my cousins is a doctor and I hung out with him for a week and that was pretty much what decided me not to become a doctor yeah they're getting beeped and going all the time and complaining and all that yeah. stuff yeah no I get yeah. it I worked it sounds as really good in theory yeah, yeah I worked as an orderly right. for like three years and I thought oh yeah well I knew I didn't want to be an orderly uh, and nursing wasn't it. And I thought, yeah, I want to be a doc. I think this is the right thing. But even then, right? So you still don't know, you know, something exactly. else can grab and, you and it does. Yeah. And I love studying. I mean, I love the, you know, acquiring knowledge and studying biology and, you know, science and math is all 
fascinating to me. But then it's funny because it's different when you go out in real life and you have to actually have a career in that. You know? What did your folks think when you, because you were doing the vet stuff and you were doing this other stuff for art. What was, what was their take or not take? You know, I, they always supported my, my, um, my desire to be an artist, but I, I think that they were much happier when I decided to go the science route and go to college. Absolutely. And they just wanted, you know, I, we grew up, you know, struggling in the eighties and uh, there was recession and there were many nights we had beans and rice for dinner. And, you know, they wanted to make sure that I would have a good start and be able to support myself. And I wanted that also. I was the oldest of four kids. Yeah. And, and what did they I do? I wanted a, a good life. What did your folks So do? my dad is a computer programmer and my mom was a school teacher. She taught at the school that I went to. Oh, nice. That's very cool. Yeah. Or what well, probably wasn't at that time. You probably wish she wasn't there. As a kid. <laughs> no, it was, it was great. It was, um, in retrospect, it was, right? it was great having my mom there. Yeah. <laughs> and, but you, and so that there was something there. You just said, no, that's not it. Yeah. And it, it was great that, that the school let me kind of cross some stuff off my list so that when I was, you know, my early twenties out of college and didn't know what to do, I could at least get, okay, I don't want to do these things. And what, what do I want to do? What do I really want? If I didn't have to worry about money, well, it would be painting, you know? And so I actually, I moved to Vegas and I ran into with these rock climbers. Yeah. Why Vegas? Vegas? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of a long story. Okay. So yeah, I understand. So there was an individual that you followed to Vegas with. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I was more escaping from an individual. Okay. But, um, but basically I was, um, I had this business, uh, I was buying storage units and reselling them um, before it's kind of like, like storage wars, but I was doing it before that TV show came out and everyone knew about it. And that TV show uh -huh. storage wars came out when I was living in LA and it just blew up the market and all these people started coming to these auctions. And I decided to leave because it's just like my livelihood. And I was either Phoenix or Vegas. And Vegas was a little bit closer. And I thought because, this is horrible, but because people were gambling that they would be more likely to default on storage units. It so makes sense. That's, I mean, my, that's, that's my business minded decision to move to Vegas. <laughs> but that's a very rational thing to think. Yeah, yeah. How and in the world did you get into that? I mean, that is, I mean, there has to be a story, well, there, right? I mean, you just didn't go, yeah, I think I'll do I, this. You know, I, I ran, well, one of the jobs I held after graduating was I ran an eBay drop-off store. Remember like in the, too, right? in the early, early 2000s? Yep. Everything, you'd, you'd drive down, you'd say eBay, you know, there are all these eBay stores and you could come and you'd bring your mom's necklaces and your right. antique China dolls and they would sell them for you and take 30% commission. So I ran one of the stores, which was awesome because I learned so much about business there and how to market products and how to research pro projects. And I learned a lot of things like, like photography, uh, Photoshop editing, um, basic, you know, research um, that I, that actually was really valuable to me later when I became an artist. So you did, and how long did you do the eBay store for? So I worked for that business for a couple of years and then um, I decided I would be better off doing it myself. Um, so that's, that was when I first started my own business. 
and I was just looking for stuff to sell. So I was looking at auction sites and buying stuff. And I came across the storage unit auctions in the, in the newspaper and showed up, you know, I'm like the only girl with, you know, and I'm, <laughs> the only girl that all just all men uh, right. at these storage units. And I'm 20 years younger than everyone else there. And I show up in my old beat up yellow pickup truck and I just start buying storage units. And I mean, I've hauled hundreds and hundreds of refrigerators, stoves, giant king-size mattresses, just anything and everything you'd find inside a storage unit. I have seen it and I have bought it because I did that business for two or three years. And uh, yeah, and then that that supported me. You must have gotten good at being able to open a unit, look and say, okay, this is what I hope to. And I assume you you're trying to maybe like triple your money on something like that with any luck? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can always sell this stuff or something. I mean, I did uh, two swap meets uh, every weekend um, where you have to, you show up at 4 a.m. and you set up your swap meet and at 7 a.m. sharp, the swap meet opens and then all the people crowd in and you sell your silverware and your whatever you're selling and tools and different things that you can't sell on eBay because they're, they're just not valuable enough. Right. And that was another great thing I learned that became useful as an artist, because um, when artists come to me for advice on how to make a living as an artist, I say, go do art festivals. And they hate hearing that, but it is how you start off as an artist. You go do art festivals. And art festivals is all about early morning, long hours traveling, setting up your own show, hauling heavy things around. And I got a lot of practice at that in the storage unit business. So I like to think my whole life has led up to me me doing this. <laughs> well, that, it has actually. That's the interesting point, and that's really why I like to get kind of in the nitty and the gritty because you find out how you got to do what you're doing. Already, it makes more sense how why you can do a business, your own art, and sell it while others haven't because you've paid your dues exactly. and other things. You've learned one what to buy and sell and what price structure should be for things. Right. Um, and you also know about debt inventory, things that you can't sell, and this is a yep. problem, and all those mm -hmm. kind of things, and hard work. Um, mm -hmm. Did you have any great finds in that time as a storage thing? You did it for two <laughs> or three years? Um, I found like the, um, like, like the second Barbie doll that was ever made, so that was oh. cool. That's cool for like $700 for yeah. like a little doll, and then I found this book that was, after I researched it, sold for like $20,000 or something, but I didn't actually get to keep the money because at that time I was selling it for someone else and taking a commission. Uh, and because I basically became an eBay store for everyone else in the storage unit business. Because I, I was the only one who knew how to do eBay because these are all like, you know, older men. Well, I get it. <laughs> yeah, so I, they would give me all their stuff they thought was valuable and I would sell it for them on, on eBay and take 30% commission. Anyway, so one of these things was this book, and when he saw the price turn to skyrocket, he came and took it away from me. <laughs> it was on eBay. It was on eBay. Yep, it was this. Um, it was one of these. It was a religious text that, with this one sect of, I want to say Mormonism, they yeah. they had to have a copy of the book in the church to be able to preach this. Right. And so these copies were extremely valuable. And it was one of those books. Did you cut that guy off? Never never sold anything for uh, him? Yeah, I ended up, you know, and it was another good lesson to learn. You know, I, I, you know, I, I, I usually don't work with other people in my business. I trust myself and I trust 
the people who work for me and right. we have our policies and the way we do business and you know it's easy to get burned i guess <laughs> yeah because that's really well if you had a contract you couldn't do that but it was very unethical well sure yeah 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 i yeah i i don't really do contracts because I, I i believe that you know, if, if you can't look someone in the eye and trust the person, then they're going to screw you over one way or another. You, you know what I mean? Like contracts isn't really going to hold someone to the line. They can get out of a contract. I've been screwed over by contracts that I thought I understood. Yeah. You know, that's why I'll never license my art again because I got completely screwed by a contract. Mm. Uh, anyways, I, I, I feel like contracts are there to make it so that you can do something unethical mm. instead of trying to protect the innocent. You know, I mean, isn't people aren't walking around with contracts to sign? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, the contracts are built by people who have, who know, who are trying to protect themselves, yeah. not protect you. You know, you know what I mean? Well, that is but. true. I mean, so at least with our artists, for instance, we don't do like we're going to only represent you and no one else can and those kind of things. I don't do that kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, you know, if you're not happy, leave. If I'm not happy, I yeah. You know, that's, that's why I believe doing doing business, you know, and and you know, we, we have a dead file in our CRM system. And when collectors, we don't like working with collectors, we dead file them. Yeah. You know what I mean? We'll complete the transaction and then we put them in the file. That means they never get promoted to again. They never receive an email from us. No one's allowed to call them. Yeah. And we did because it's like, well, we we have to have some control over who we do business with. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So did you consider at any point going i could be really good at this i could get all these other things all these other dealers stuff and really make a good living just doing what you were doing with ebay and storage lockers did you ever consider making well, that as a profession i mean i know it's hard i understand it <laughs> well no because it's there's a limit to what one person can do in that in that business and the second i started painting well it, it took a few years but i realized that every hour I was spending buying and selling on eBay as opposed to painting, I was losing money. Yeah, you were. And yep. So when I finally realized that took about four years and my, he's not my husband, but back then he's just my living boyfriend. And uh, uh, he was just like, you need to just quit this business and just do art full time. And I really re resisted it because I felt like I needed that as my pillow to fall back on because I didn't trust myself to be able to support myself as an artist you know and I was probably making like 30 grand a year or something like that at, at the time and that's not enough to really live on and I was doing you know eight festivals a year or something like that I wasn't that was all I was doing you know and I was uh, still trying to do my painting a week you know sometimes I would sometimes I wouldn't and uh I wasn't really didn't have all my focus on that and but I would come back for a show and I would have sold you know six seven paintings and made way more on that one weekend than I was making buying and selling eBay stuff, you know? Right. And finally I just decided, I, I took my whole business and I gave it all away. I gave it to my parents actually. I said, here's all my inventory. I had a three car garage full of boxes <laughs> of like t-shirts. Cause I also started like a wholesale business on the side. So I was actually buying imports in case, cases and then reselling them uh, individually, right? On Amazon and stuff. And uh, this was like, in, in addition to the storage unit stuff I was doing. I was just, uh, you know, I just, I love business. It's really fun. <laughs> it's really fun to me. And I love the business of art, especially. It's so fun because I get to like do promo and magazines and books and 
come up with and design websites. You know, I, I, I designed my first three websites by myself. I oh. learned HTML from scratch and just wrote my first website out of HTML. And then eventually they had these like kind of drag and click websites like Wix and stuff right. that I started using. Yeah, where they would have templates and you would just pop your images in. Um, but then I ended up needing, wanting something different. And so I, now my current website has been custom designed for me from scratch. Actually, my brother uh, wrote the program and I actually now employ him full-time as a full-time programmer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's just fun. It's, it's, and it's like the business, it, it uplifts people and it brings beauty to your life. And it's, I don't know, I love it. And so when you, when did you go, this is it, I need to be a painter. I mean, I assume you must've been painting somewhat while you were doing these other businesses, when you're doing the storage stuff, were you doing art at that time? You were, and, and if you were, were you doing it for yourself or, or to sell or both? I had a very distinct aha moment. Um, it was when I was driving to Vegas and uh, I don't know if you've dri driven from Southern California to Vegas on the 15 there. It's very Vegas. stark, open desert yeah. and you see the buttes in the distance and yeah. stuff. And I um, actually, one of the things I was escaping from was I used to smoke pot and I'd broken up with this boyfriend who was a pothead and I just decided I actually smoked the last bowl I ever smoked there in the car and threw my pipe and the <laughs> weed and everything and that lighter out the window while I was driving out. I don't tell this to people. I probably shouldn't be talking about this in the podcast, but it's the, it's the truth. Yeah. And, uh, and I was looking around at the landscape and just like, you know, I was just like, you know, what? I'm making a big change in my life. I'm moving to a new city. I'm not going to do drugs anymore. I'm going to be, I, I want to start painting again. And I did not make this decision thinking I would be able to make a living at it. I just wanted to start painting again. because it had been many years since I had painted. And so I, and I decided I would paint landscapes. Because before I had painted all sorts of stuff, people, animals, buildings, you know, I didn't have any kind of a style or anything. So I made this decision. That night I got to my apartment in Vegas. It was like on a Friday night about 8 p.m. And the electricity hadn't been turned on. And so I didn't know where to stay. And I was by myself. I didn't know anyone in the city. Everything I owned was tied to the top of my pickup truck, including my mattress, which was like flopping around in the wind. And so I go, okay, I type, you know, I look around. This is like before iPhones or anything. So I open up a Thomas guide, right? And I find the nearest campground and I drive there. And uh, there, it was Red Rock Canyon out on the outskirts of Vegas. And I camped out, got there, it was pitch black. I camped. I woke up this morning. I said, I'm going to be true to my decision. I'm going to do a painting. So I pulled my easel and everything was right down my truck with everything I owned. I pulled it out. I got my old box of paint. I climbed to the top of the hill just as the sun came up and I saw Red Rock Canyon for the first time. And it was just amazing. I'd never seen Red Rock Desert ever before. I grew up in Southern California and it was just beautiful. So I took out all my cadmium paint and I laid it all out. And I, brought, I was like, I need oils for this. You know, it's so colorful. And I did this tiny little plenary painting. And that was the first open impressionist painting because the technique that I used to paint those rocks and I did it in the plein air techniques that I use. That is my style. And that's what I've continued to do. So I uh, actually, my neighbors at the campground, those were uh, rock climbers and we met each other and they needed a place to stay. They had just moved here from New York to rock climb Red Rock Canyon. And uh, I said, well, why do you guys stay with me? I, I don't know anyone in the city. Why don't we all be friends? And so we ended up getting an apartment closer to the 
to Red Rock Canyon on the episode of Vegas. Um, and we all moved in together. And um, they taught me how to rock climb. These guys were pro professional uh, climbers. And they got me to climb up to a 512, oh. you know, be able to lead a 512 sports yeah. climb. And I was great, great shape at the time. And so, and so I was always out in this landscape. And I started doing a panty a week. I, this was kind of my mantra I took up at the time. I said, I'm going to do a panty a week. I'm not trying to sell my work. I just want to become a better painter. And I painted nothing but desert rocks and Joshua trees for a whole year. And finally I decided, okay, these are good enough. I wouldn't mind if someone else saw them. And I started researching, how am I going to, how might I sell these paintings, you know? And I came across finally this art festival and um, uh, this little town outside of Vegas. And uh that was my first art festival. And I just did a show. I sold six paintings. I was charging like 300 bucks a piece. I didn't know what to charge for them. I didn't care, you know. <laughs> and uh, that's what, that was the beginning of my career. How and, old were you at that time? Uh, 23, I think. Yeah, okay. So you were really young. Yeah. And so for the next few years, you do the, the eBay slash buy storage units and paint and climb as much and painting. as you can. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then did you have another and eventually aha? I, I found my way. Um, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, did you have another aha moment at some point where you go, okay, this is <laughs> it. I mean, that was, you know, I think it was it, the next aha moment was just when my, uh, when Paul, um, my, my boyfriend at the time talked me into doing it full time. Yeah. And I went all in. I bet. I went, okay. Cause I work 80 hours a week. That's what I did. I, I work. That's what I love to do. And I said, okay, I'm putting 80 hours a week into being an artist. So I spent, you know, 40 hours of that painting, 20 hours of that on the road doing shows, 20 hours of that doing um, learning marketing, improving my website, doing publishing, that doing the marketing side of being an artist. And I tell you, there's nothing like talking to tens of thousands of people about your work and just all the hard lessons that you learn that artists don't like to learn which is why artists go through galleries <laughs> right right and they just but learning that the hard way you learn how to become not only an artist a better artist but you learn how to market yourself do you think it's a good route for most artists to try to do what you're doing versus a gallery i mean it, it, it depends on their it depends on their goals you know, some artists are happy, just they want to just be at home and paint and they're okay with making, you know, 30, 40 grand a year. And then they're happy with that. You know, I, I was not happy with that. I want to get to the top. I want to be the best yeah. that I can be. And I know that I'm capable and, you know, I want to just, I want to be the best, you know, if I can. And, um, I guess the, the next aha moment after that was realizing that I cannot become the best by myself. I have to let parts of my business go and I have to hire other people. And that's when I started hiring people because I just, I remember I spent an entire day making thank you books. I, you know, I do, everyone who buys a painting from me gets a book of my work with a nice handwritten card and some promo. And it took me all day long to, because I'd let it fall behind a little bit to, put all these thinking books together and I was like this is menial labor I could pay someone 15 bucks an hour to do this for me and I could have painted uh you know at the time a three thousand dollar painting or something in a day so um 
you know, I just realized that I needed help and I started hiring people and it took a long time to get good employees. Um, I ended up hiring a lot of my own family members. So I have three family members who work for me full time. Um, one's my brother and the other two are sisters-in-law and the rest are people that I know very well and that I trust and that are in it for the long haul with me. Yeah. And yeah, we built up a whole organization. Well, I met your work through actually one of the museum docents came to my gallery and said, I want you to look at this person's work. And they had one of your books um, mm. you, of your paintings. And it was a beautiful book. It was a nice hardback book. And I was like, I remember they sent it to me or they sat down with me. And I go, sure, sure. You know, and then I started going <laughs> through it. And I was like, well, damn, <laughs> this, person, this, this person can paint. I've never heard of this nice. person. Let me see that. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's a hell of a good <laughs> reference. So you really brought something to me that I think is really good. I can see it all. And so I contacted you and said, hey, you know, this is how it is. I would love to show your work. You clearly have something that's, because uh, you have this unique, different style. Um, you can see the, I think, you can see the emotion, you can see the joy, the colors are just uniquely yours. Yeah, I mean, you can pick out one of your paintings a mile away. Um, yeah. Know, and it's not, though you're an incredibly gifted, I think, as a business person, what you're doing in marketing, but I don't, I think people have to need, under, need to understand listening to you also have the skill set and the chops of a really great artist as well it's not just that it just so happens you have both um which i do think is Thanks, i think is exceptionally rare actually i really do think it's exceptionally rare and very few people can do it william matthews in colorado and denver who's a watercolor so i think he has that capability there's some people that have been able to do it but not not many and as you said it took you a while i'm sure um and so when did you start doing those books because they're beautiful books Mm. Uh, see, I think I did my first one in, I want to say, 2014 or something, mm -hmm. maybe a little earlier. So I needed enough paintings to fill a book. And the first right. one I published, my, my brother actually did the InDesign layout. And, uh, you know, it's, it's okay. It's, it's uh, Open Impressionism Volume 1, which is not even in print anymore. Um, and then I learned a lot from that and then went the, the the one that you saw probably is a open impressionism volume two with with a with the orange cover yes the fall colors on the on yes. the cover yeah so that yeah. was done with a professional layout designer who I still work with to this day and um and yeah I mean my and everything just improved you know like my photography I used to photograph my paintings with a little uh, power shot you know little handheld little camera and finally went to like um, uh, an SLR camera many years later like ten years later. And so a lot of my early work, I don't have good, good photography of, which is really too bad. And then I, you know, and then I increase every year trying to get better and better at the photography of the work. Um, I mean, I can look at one of my prints and tell you what, what year that was from based off the shadows and how it was photographed and finally built my own indoor studio. And then even that wasn't good enough. And that's what brought me to, to the scanning thing. And now I scan my, my work in 3D in three dimensions. And that led me then to 3D printing. Um, but I, I found a, a, a flatbed scanner that doesn't, you don't put the painting face down mm. on the scanning bed, which is, it works great for watercolors and sketches, but for textured oil painting, 
it, it damages the painting. And then also the light comes at 90 degrees to the painting. And so mm -hmm. you get no shadows and it, wa it just washes it out. So I found a scanner where the painting goes on top and the lights actually move on top like this. And the light comes from the side and you can control the, the direction and how far away the light is coming from. So, you, so little shadows get cast. Mm -hmm. And if you look on my website, all my recent work done in the past year was all photographed using the scanner. And they're very high resolution. So I can print large with them, which is another th problem I was running into. And then I was able to standardize it because I had to do all my own photography because even though I tried to train like three different people to do it, no one else could really see when it was correct or not. Mm. You know, it's just me as artist. I can, I can say this is a good, a good photograph that accurately represents the painting. This scanning machine has standardized that. I now have someone else who photographs the paintings for me it, with the scanner. I still do the final color adjustment just because that's something that can't be taught, you know, and I am the artist and I know yeah. when the photograph is correct. But we have just recently, we moved to Oregon. I'm right. leasing an 18,000 square foot pair of buildings. It's as long as a football field, my facilities now. Wow. And half the building is uh, set up to make prints. So that was something I was really excited about moving to Oregon was I wanted to bring my printmaking in-house. So I've always outsourced it. And I've always had the troubles you deal with when you're dealing with other companies who don't have your standards, they don't, they can't rush stuff for you, that you can't do anything special for your customers. You know, if someone needs something tomorrow, you can't do that. You're on a three week, you know, right. you're at the end of the queue. They're, they're dealing with like a hundred different clients, you know, and it was just too hard, you know? And so I just wanted to bring it in house. Plus I wanted to control the quality. And um, I started doing this 3D printing and it was really exciting. And I wanted to get my own 3D printer. So we actually just got our 3D printer last week i've had my scanner for a year we have a 3d printer now we've been doing our own canvas printing all year since we moved in here and it's really fun and it's so really you fun. do declays and you do canvas printings and then do you do anything other besides those um i just do the 3d printing and then the canvas printing which is technically a declay yes a, a declay is just a digital print yes and so you can do it in any size basically that a client wants mm -hmm. and do yep. you have stand so if you make a painting so and your paintings are or you know they're quite valuable so you do a painting um then you make a you do a, a photo of it and then you do a jaclay of that and you limit do you right. limit the number of jaclays that you do of that image i don't limit the jaclays we do limit the 3d print i see yeah so we limit those to 100 per painting i see and then you have these available that people can actually just buy online. Can they buy it directly off your website? You want to plug your website? Yeah. Plug your website. Sure. It's uh, www.aaronhanson.com. <laughs> and we'll put this in the, in the YouTube as well. But yeah, you can, so you can get these things. Now, my first thought is being a business person, and I know you are as well, just as much as anyone, uh, as just as much as I am. You've mm -hmm. got 18,000 square feet. You've got people there. You've got the material. Why not do it for other artists? Well, you know, believe it or not, I can keep an 18,000 square foot facility so busy. We wouldn't possibly have time to deal with other artists. I mean, you should see my guys. They run at top speed. Yeah. I, we have a lot of production going through here. We, 
you know, we have a print sale uh, once, once a month and we sell at least 50 prints. And getting those out within a couple of weeks is very hard. And now we have our 3D printer. Um, I also produce five original oil paintings a week. Each one of those canvases needs to get stretched for me. We're now doing my own stretching in-house. They need to get framed, varnished, uh, packaged, and shipped. I also just bought a, a CNC machine. Um, I don't know if you know what those are. They're those really big uh, table saws that cut out signage and cardboard. So um, I just ordered it from China. It's on its way here. And um, it's going to custom make boxes for me. So just put a piece of cardboard down and cuts out a custom sized box that will fit exactly around all our prints and paintings so that we can save a lot of money on, on boxes and stuff and actually keep the paint, the paintings and prints much safer. Because right now the way we're doing it, it's the best we can do through, uh, through Uline, you know, what they offer right. to ship art in. But um, this is gonna, it's upping our, upping our game. And I'm always, always upping our game. You know, I mean, I, we, we got this article, I have this on my desk. Yeah. I, I, I go, I was, I was featured in this article, uh, American Lifestyle. It's a magazine that's sent out by like real, uh, realtors and stuff. And it featured me. We didn't even know this was happening. I had this like eight page spread here uh -huh. in the middle. And we got more business from this than any other single promotional action I've ever done. So what do I do? I bring over my mark my marketing team and I say, we are gonna publish one of these. And that's what we're doing right now. So we're gonna call it Art and Home. It's gonna, we're gonna send one to every single person who buys a home over $1 million in the US once a month. Um, and it's gonna have, we're basically, you know, it's gonna have an article about art and wine, uh, you know, make your own cheese boards. Uh, we're interviewing a bunch of interior designers. So we're going to feature their, their stuff in here. We'll of course have an article about me in there sure. and we're basically going to duplicate what works and replicate it. So that's what, that's what I do in my business. I, something works, we do more of it, but it's this constant. I mean, I have all these ideas and then they didn't get executed, you know? So I <laughs> trust me, I keep my team very busy. <laughs> and so do you have a person that's in charge of marketing and content? Cause I've done, I do, I did a, uh, a, a magazine for 10 years, Canyon road arts. Mm -hmm. And then I now do one. That's just an online magazine, essential West. Mm -hmm. which we do every yeah. week. We publish a new article, but we don't do the publishing. The other one we actually published and did all that. And I know all that's yeah. involved in that. But do you, I mean, the hardest <laughs> part is content, right? I mean, that's really yeah. good content. So what do well, you do? Well, yeah, exactly. That? And 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 the other mags that we did, which you're you have an article, you have an ad in this one, Mark. Um, so this is the magazine. And it took so long to get this content together. Yes. It took months. It's all about impressionism. We have Van yes. Gogh. Yes. It, you know, happens to mention my work towards the end. And it took three months, you know, and it's gonna take three months to do the same math. But so so what we're doing though is we're just doing one issue. You know what I mean? We're not gonna make it this ongoing thing. So this is now a promotional tool that we use. Everyone who expresses interest in my work gets what we call a shock and awe box, which has my book, it has the magazine, it has my different flip books in it. You know, I have these various flip books and uh all of our promo and they get this really nice custom box and it just really puts the importance to my work there and and educates them on me you know um anyway so yeah but i agree with you publishing a magazine is no joke <laughs> yeah and it's expensive yeah, yeah. it mean, is talking yeah. a lot of money to especially yeah. with what you're wanting to do every house of our million 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. How many houses is that? Do you know? It's about uh, 10,000 a month. But, you know, we're, I, I got the cost down to about a dollar a piece, plus maybe 70 cents for shipping. I mean, it's, we, 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 we did almost 3 million last year in painting sales. Yeah. So we, we have the budget for stuff like this. And we tend to be smart about it. And then, like I said, do what works. Don't go chasing what we think is going to work, but just focus on what does actually bring new people in, get new eyes on my on my paintings, you know. And that's why I still have the gallery in Carmel. It's been there for uh, for two two years now. Yes. And it's great. It's like having an art festival every weekend. We get about the same eyes on my work as it would be me going out and doing an art festival every weekend. And, and where is it located in Carmel so people can go by and see it? It's on uh, San Carlos Street, um, just north of of, down, of the of the main. I think it's called Main Street. Yeah, and it's just yeah. all your art, I assume. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you and and you have a, a salesperson or a gallery manager that runs it, and it's open five or six days a week. Yep. Have you ever considered doing other artists? I'm just curious because you have the the things are there. You know, again, it's just the same the same issue where they're just they have their hands full dealing with me. You know. <laughs> yeah. No, I see. Yeah, because I mean yeah. that's true. I mean there is a point where you go, it's going to take a lot more energy and effort for me to do this, but you also right. could do it. I mean, I mean there are opportunities there, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Well, you know, I, I did, I tested it out a couple times, actually. I, I, I went, when I had my gal in Glendale, I hosted a show with two of my other artist friends. And um, I saw my two best collectors, uh, not buy any art for me, and instead buy art for my two friends. And then neither of them ever bought anything from me again. And both of them were regular buyers. One of them had something like 18 of my paintings, yeah. and the other one had like 12 of my paintings. So what I saw that was, okay, it doesn't work for me to, because I was, I was, I'm the powerhouse. Those artists don't have the kind of CF that I have, the same central files, the same addresso list. You know what I mean? So if I'm promoting it, I, I, I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot if I'm, if I'm promoting another artist, you know what I mean? If those other artists had my kind of mailing list and we could come in and we could trade, you know, right. well, that's a different story. And right. again, that's why I don't work with other galleries because they do not have the kind of address list, yourself excluded, that I do. You know what yeah. I mean? They, they just don't. They, a lot of galleries don't, don't do sales. They don't do follow-up calls. They don't even have a mailing list, a lot of them, you know, right. and it's kind of sad, you know, it's, I understand why they're going out of business now. <laughs> During COVID, yeah. we doubled our income during COVID because we were able to focus on sales and marketing, you know, instead of the direct traffic that we were getting with walk-ins. And it's like, you know, but gallery, most galleries don't, don't do that. No, they you know? don't. Yeah. It, salesperson's kind of on their own and kind of acting, um, uh, you know, autonomously. And if you're, if the gallerist is lucky and can get a great salesperson, then that's awesome. But, you know, salespeople are, and that's another thing I did in my business. I actually personally started studying sales tech. Uh, I read every book I could get my hands on about selling, right? And I found the I found about six books that I felt like were the best books about how to sell, like without being pushy, you know, doing more of a soft sell thing, not you know, more like guiding people to finding the right art, not being right. hard sell or anything like that. I'm scaring them off. And I then every 
new salesperson I have, I have, I have three full-time salespeople and they all get trained in that sales method. And we drill it constantly every week. We're drilling it. We're, we're improving it. We're making sure we're doing our follow-up. We're prospecting. We're doing all the things that need to be done in sales. And, you know, I'm not going to trust that a gallery would do that for me. You know, yeah, they probably wouldn't quite frankly. Right. Most yeah. Of. I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you so. can, by focusing on your, your own business and your own art, you're able to put that kind of energy and effort into making sales. And I, right. I think, you know, artists that may listen to this might go, well, this is all about sales. Well, yeah, in a way there, that's a part of the thing, you know, you can create, um, but if you can't get it out to people and you can't sell it, then a, you may not be able to continue to create, yeah. and, you know, and you, the people don't find your, your art. Again, I'm going to reiterate yeah. this. You are an extremely good artist and you make really good art, <laughs> you know, <laughs> happy to have it in my home. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but you have managed to figure out that this is also a business and that, right. you know, there are certain things that to be successful in business that you have to do and you're doing them yeah. in, in spades. In fact, I think a lot of gallerists listening to this, all those art galleries guys and girls that are listening to this, you could probably learn a lot from listening to how Erin does her business and takes it seriously and works on those kind of things. Um, one other area, and I don't know if you've gotten into it yet, but just, I'm sure you will at some point, I have no doubt of it, in fact, is NFTs. Have you been investigating as <laughs> yet? I assume you have. My, my husband has been trying to get me to do this. I, I have I don't understand what the exchange is there and I, and I you know my my valuable final product in my organization is art hanging in homes right. beautifying and, and enriching people's lives so that is what we all gear our energy towards and an NFT right that's what it is yeah like what's like what's the exchange like what product am I giving to the world with so, that I don't know your daughter and those that are you know younger are going to be very involved in rdr and metaverses so areas you know these are environments and worlds of to their own on the internet and they're going to have their own art galleries in there they're going to have their art they're going to have their homes they're going to have all these kind of things and they're going to show off their art and you know they already show off their art on their phones by going look what i have look what i do this is it so it's a real thing um and it's it's going to continue to to increase i mean you have uh crypto uh punks that are selling for five hundred thousand dollars now you know you have people that sold for 69 million you know there it's a real thing that's not going away and uh you know yeah. you, you may not be there yet but you will be soon because i know you will be yeah um because that is how people are going to collect and display things and your art actually yeah. nicely, I think, for a younger generation because of, you know, it has this, you know, vibrant colors and, and emotional driven and beautiful imagery and, you know, it just would work. Um, you know, if you yeah. have a hotel on a metaverse of your own metaverse, right, you might want to put one of your NFTs on there. That's, you know, our original one. So huh, your husband's, your, yeah, your husband's correct. Um, <laughs> He's been right about a lot of things. Yeah. Yes, correct. And I would highly uh, encourage you to look into that. I mean, we're following it very closely. We understand it. Yeah. Um, you know. Have you tried it your, your, yourself with any of your artists? Well, 
I haven't done done it yet, but I've been involved with blockchain for about the last three years. So I understand, you know, how blockchain works. I understand how non-fungible tokens, NFTs work and function. And yes, it will happen at some point. Uh, we will be doing that. And, you know, it just, it hasn't yet, but it, it will happen for sure. And, uh, and I haven't bought one yet, but uh, that probably will happen as well. Son, <laughs> my son's been trying to get me to buy a crypto punk, you know, and he says, you know, there were $100,000 for a crypto punk. And I was like, oh $100,000. And now they're $500,000. And he's like, see, right, and, right. and I'm like, well, I don't understand them completely. So until I understand things completely, I'm not going to pay uh, $100. But um, right. But it is something that will that because and I could go on and on of the marketing things that you could do with it from a marketing standpoint is over the top. You could give NFTs to your best clients as you know mm -hmm. something that really will have value that you're giving them mm -hmm. for free. And if you can sell a digital image of your painting for X amount, which could be fairly significant, and you didn't have to do anything but put it on a platform and sell it. That's kind mm -hmm. of found money, quite frankly. And you have yeah. all the paintings that you've ever done that you could do this with. And right. right. So, I mean, you have it's a, and the beautiful thing about NFTs for artists, and I, I think it's a really wonderful thing, is that, that you can write smart contracts with these. So, you, anytime anybody mm -hmm. wants to sell one of your NFTs, they're your paintings, you get, and they resell it to somebody, you get part of the resale. So, you get a 10 really yeah you can get 10 or 15 percent of the sale every time wow. forever because wow. it's listed on the blockchain so wow yep so you know every time somebody sells one you make you're going to get money <laughs> and all your paintings will probably yeah. need to go on a blockchain anyway just because it's a it's a way for provenance and security all of that should start right. being listed on blockchain so huh so you're you're intriguing me, Mark. No, I knew I'm as a business person. <laughs> I knew as a business person and as an art person, as an artist, that all of these would have components of that. I will I will make a prediction now that you will have an NFT setup within one year, almost guaranteed <laughs> that you will. All right, I, I think you might be right there. See, I put it on a post-it note. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> no, it's just perfect for you, uh, and it'll work. And there's a lot yeah. of things you can do from a marketing standpoint as well that you could do. Uh, there's just <laughs> immense numbers of things. I mean, including your magazine, you know, you should have an NFT section in there. What are NFTs and da da da? And scan this and, mm -hmm. you, know, mm -hmm. you know, enter the chance to get an NFT, one of my original NFTs. And they have mm -hmm. value. I mean, they may not seem like they have value at this moment, but trust me, they do have value and they may have a lot of value in the future. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that that was my main concern is that it, they had no value and it was more of like a, like, like, a, like the stock market or something, you know, where you're not, I mean, I guess stocks have value, but it was all about perceived value and it didn't have any actual physical universe value. But now that you've explained that, so yeah. people, yeah, I, I don't, I've never heard that word, uh, meta, metaverse yeah. before. Yeah. Well, that's where everyone's going to live. You know, all these kids are, and that's already being developed, you know, that you, yeah. enter, you enter into the, your cyber world and, you know, you yeah. art galleries and all sorts of things. People do what they want to do, you know, and it's a yeah. place you have your avatar, which is you, which can be yeah. better than maybe who you are. And it'll be a, yeah. definite, a definite thing. And, 
So yeah, yeah they huh. they have, they most definitely have value, and as individuals see it differently, the next generation, this is going to you know it's all, like you said, it's perceived value, but you know right. is is a you know a Fendi bag perceived value than versus a knockoff? Right. Yeah, I mean, right. right, and if you can't tell visually, but I tell you, yes, this is an original. You go, ah, well, the right. same with an art. I mean, this is one of one huh. of your paintings. You know, and you only have, I mean, you can set up more than one of one, but, you know, it's like, okay, this is a, you know, your NFTs, quite frankly, at this point, are probably rarer than your prints. Because right. you, yeah, you know, yeah. you're one of a hundred and, you know, with your NFTs, yeah. it may be one of one. So, right, right, right. If you ask me right now, would okay. I really have a print or an NFT? I'll take an NFT. <laughs> really? Wow. I would, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. So yeah, so there's a, a whole new whole new world of of marketing to, to go. So can people visit your uh, gallery in Oregon, the one that's the eighteen thousand square feet? Is it do they do you have open mm -hmm. hours and that kind of stuff? Yep, we have a whole uh, beautiful uh, a retail gallery space uh, nestled inside the warehouse. Um, it has its own little entrance. You go in there, and then uh, yeah, people people come in all the time and. Uh, we just had our grand opening. We had like 350 people here drinking wine and eating grapes. Yeah. And where is it? What city is, what city is it in? Where are you located? It's in um, McMinnville, Oregon, which is about an hour west of Portland. Um, I, I moved out here because I, I want to send my daughter, who's two, two years old, to um, the, the, uh, the same school that I graduated from. Because you can see, I was really passionate about my education that I got, and right. I want my daughter to have the same education. So um, there's a the original Delphi school is actually up here in Oregon, uh, about 20 minutes away from here, and uh, yeah, it's like it's this great school. It's on like 200 acres, and they learn horseback riding and get to do fun country stuff, and yeah, it's just it's really great. And I just also just wanted to get out of the city and. Let, you know let my daughter grow up in the country a little bit yeah it's makes been sense. great i love it out here yeah well, that's one of the beauties of being an artist right i mean you can create and do whatever you want wherever you are and it's true and if you have a good website and you do all the stuff you do and you do a blog as well yep. you know people yep. stay tuned and what's your instagram account for people who want to follow you that one uh i think it's aaron hansen artist Okay. I, uh, I I don't do my own social media, my my marketing gals. You don't easy. have enough time to do that? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been on Facebook personally in a long time. Yeah. Well, let's see. I'm scrolling my website here. Here we go. Pinterest. Yeah. Aaron Hansen Art. Aaron, Aaron Hansen Art. Yes. So kind of rounding it up here and finishing up, I think you probably have some really good ideas that you could tell artists. And um, maybe you could share just your thoughts. If you are a young artist in their early twenties, who, who loves art, who's really wants to do it, how would they go about promoting them? What would you recommend to do, uh, to promote themselves? And if they're following kind of in the footsteps of what you've done. Mm -hmm. Well, the best advice I can give any artist young or old is do one painting a week. If your current style doesn't allow for that, do small paintings. Yes. So the idea is that you need to learn how to paint. And you do that by painting. There is no shortcut to learning how to paint. 
I don't care how many YouTube videos you watch or books you read, you need to just paint a lot. Color theory, composition, value studies, all that is honestly, it comes from practice. And it is nice to have some theory as well to go with it, but you need to just practice. You're not gonna learn guitar by watching YouTube videos. You have to sit there and get your calluses built up and get that muscle memory drilled in and painting is the same thing. So do a painting a week and start doing art festivals if you can. It's a great way to start the whole marketing experience and um, understanding um, how to talk about your work. Because I, I believe there's a market for every type of art. You just have to learn who's looking for that and then put your work in front of them. You know what I mean? If what you love and what you're passionate about is painting kittens in a basket, say you just love cats and you love baskets and that is what you want to paint, by all means, paint that. Do not never change yourself as an artist because of marketing. Marketing is there to fit the public to you as an artist. So you need to find the public and how to word your work. How, how, uh, what search terms are people using when they, when they, uh, when they're looking for kittens and baskets? You know, is it cats? Is it kittens? Is it uh, cute? paintings you know you have to figure out what is that what terminology is being used and how to and doing art festivals is a great way to learn that because people walk into your booth and start talking about your art with you and you can learn what phrases and what words people use um and what it what makes them oh smile and be interested and what makes them go oh okay and walk off you know what i mean you learn that the hard way and you learn what printed material communicates the best um you learn, just learn all sorts of good stuff but it's not gonna work by itself. You still have to do your painting a week. Otherwise you're never gonna improve as an artist. And you're also never gonna have a big enough body of work to sell, you know? Cause out of every 50, let's say half of those is sellable. You have 25 paintings a year. You're selling them, you know, you know, you're, you, you need to sell them for enough to make a living basically. And that means you need to paint enough to make a living at it. And then you'll have the facilities to even grow as an artist, you know, take Monet, he was a wealthy artist and he painted, you know, these, these, these water lily paintings that are huge that took up, he needed a whole gallery, you know, facility to paint these in and all this expensive paint and uh, expensive canvas. Take poor Van Gogh who never sold like a single painting or maybe one. And he was an excellent artist also, but his paintings were all small. And I bet he would have loved to do a big epic painting, you know, like Monet was doing at the time. And he never got the chance to, cause he didn't, he didn't he was a terrible marketer you know yeah. what i mean he didn't know how to market his work <laughs> and monet was a fantastic business person yeah you know and i think that's one of the takeaways there is nothing wrong with being a great business person and an artist and you shouldn't yeah. shy away from if you have that skill set to use it uh and you if you don't toot your own horn um then you know why should i <laughs> that's right you know, I mean, if you don't believe in it enough to really promote it yourself and let people know, then, you know, why yeah. should I? And I think, I do think you're a rare bird in the sense that you can do this and you can do all this and you have those skill sets. Not, you know, it's a, that's not a common thing. It's very highly uncommon. But, um, and so there's places for, generally there's going to be a place for galleries that will get into that. But if you don't get seen, if you don't get your marketing out there, then how am I going to, you know, know how to find you? I mean, Dennis Siminski, who did illustrations for years, great things, Super Bowls, all these amazing 
um, uh, New York, or all these kind of high uh, brow illustrations, but he decided to become a fine artist, fine artist. And the first thing he did is he ran a full page ad with Zeminski.com or something like that, or Dennis Zeminski in Southwest Art. And I noticed it and said, wow, that guy can paint. And he was smart That's enough awesome. to realize yep. that, you know, uh, he wanted people to see who he was and what he was before he started getting a gallery. And I, and, you know, it was like, and, and somebody introduced me to him, Francis Livingston, but the fact that it was in my brain and had seen it and go, ah, I know who that, I saw yeah. an image of that. It was a fantastic, I still yeah. remember the image actually. And yeah. uh, so, yes, don't be afraid to market. Don't be afraid to be an Aaron. <laughs> and uh, if, if there's any, is there anything else you'd like to say before we have any shows coming up or anything else interesting you want to share with people? Um, I'm doing my annual petite show in my Carmel Gallery this year, uh, December 11th. Okay. So that, that'll be fun. I've never done, this is a big annual show I do. I do a bunch of small work, um, about 20 of them, maybe 30. And uh, they're a nice price point right before Christmas. And um, But I'm going to do it in my satellite gallery this year instead of in my home gallery. So Very nice. And I don't know if you know it, but you had a painting in the Maynard Dixon exhibit for two years up for two years yes oh that's awesome i didn't know it was for that long that's uh -huh. great <laughs> yep. no the pandemic gave it an extra year so uh, oh, yes right. you got uh, and i had people call on that and ask, say who is this person this is really great oh wow yeah so. that's awesome <laughs> all right well i'll let you go thank you for taking the time and uh you know i i'll be following you on all your e-blasts and everything else and uh, we're thrilled to have <laughs> you in our gallery we don't get a lot but things we do have. We love having your work. And I think you're a highly talented artist. And uh, uh, I just, I love what you do. And I know there's lots of other things we didn't talk about, but uh, we got kind of a, I think we got the main essence of, of you. And I expect one year from now for, you to, for you to be talking to me about your NFT business. I'm already thinking about trading an NFT for you at, at with you so that you could uh, be my consultant on the matter. Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> you know a lot about block, blockchain. I, I do work with a blockchain company, actually. So oh, are, really? Oh, yeah, I do. And we're, we're actually working on an NFT platform, but, uh, you know, oh. it's, it's not quite there yet. They're getting ready to launch that fairly shortly. So, uh, yeah, it's real. <laughs> All right. The future has arrived. Yes, it has. And you're there. <laughs> you can show this to your daughter when she's 12 and she's like, oh, of course, mom, what do you mean? NFTs, that's all we want. Why do you still paint? <laughs> do it on the computer. <laughs> I, know. I know. Right. So true. Yep. Right. Well, it's nice talking to you and we'll, we'll see. Nice you. talking to you, Mark. Bye-bye.